Welcome to the I'm Uncomfortable podcast, where we tackle the issues you feel awkward talking about and put ourselves into uncomfortable situations you secretly relate to. We're not better than you. We're the same as you. We're just willing to publicly talk about our innermost cringe and shame. I'm Melissa. And I'm Vanessa. Let's get uncomfortable. Welcome to another uncomfortable episode of the I'm Uncomfortable podcast. Let's kick things off with what's made us uncomfortable. Melissa, how uncomfy have you been lately? I went hiking for the first time in, I think, a year. (laughs) And I know that I always struggle with hikes, just in general, but... I kind of forgot how hard it could be sometimes and I was struggling with the idea of like, am I slowing the group down? Am I breathing too hard? Which is something that you've said before as your uncomfortable moment, Vanessa. Yeah, and that actually came to mind as I was going through those thoughts and I was like, no, I shouldn't be ashamed of the uh, the fact that I can't breathe and the struggle um, and the fact that I do deal with a slight heart condition. So I'm doing the best I can, okay? (laughs) So (laughs) I had to tell myself that. Um, But I'm definitely feeling definitely feeling the uncomfortable now I'm I'm sore and I was like oh I didn't expect to be sore I thought I was just gonna be tired but yeah that's what happens when you climb uphill for like two hours straight so Mm. that was my uncomfortable situation I'm also tired (laughs) for a different same page (laughs) Uh, unlike Melissa I did not go hiking Uh, I walked into the local Kaiser and got my second vaccine shot. Woohoo! Yay. <laughs> it's exciting. <but laughs> as she scary. says, as she's tired. <laughs> well, see, I can't figure out if I'm tired because I didn't get enough sleep, which is very true and possible, or if it's the side effects. You know, I've been thinking, am I psyching myself out? Have I, am, would I normally be this tired? The uncomfortable thing is everyone reacts differently to yeah. the vaccine. I've just heard so many stories and it's the not knowing that's making me uncomfortable because mm-hmm. some people said that they've been fine. Some people had like a COVID rash situation. Um, someone oh, talked gosh. to me about seizures Uh, And someone else said that they woke up the next day and they felt sick. So honestly, Mm -hmm. I'm just nervous that tonight I'm going to go to bed. Tomorrow. Yeah. So it's just it's the not knowing that sucks. Well, hoping for the best for you, Vanessa. (laughs) Fingers crossed. Um, But I'll transition into our topic of the day. And I'm sure you listening already know what we're going to be talking about. But um, today, Vanessa and I are kind of taking a more not laid back approach, but less structured approach to this episode. We're just going to have an honest conversation about the recent increase in violence against the Asian um, Asian and Asian American communities here. Um, and we are just going to speak candidly about our thoughts and feelings surrounding the issue and maybe through that conversation share some personal experiences or stories. Um, so we'll see how it goes. But before we get into it, let's just take a quick break and we'll come back with the conversation. Right, and we are back. So like I mentioned, this is more of an unstructured situation. Um, So I'll 
what we did plan ahead is that we wanted to bring two topics that we um, haven't discussed ahead of time just to bring it to the table for discussion. I'll just first off acknowledge um, that even in the past day or so, it's been, I believe, two weeks since the Atlanta shootings. um, And I think just a couple of days since the most recent attack on a Filipino American woman in New York. So just I want to acknowledge and take a moment to just this is what we're talking about. Um, we I mean, for me, I identify as an, an Asian American woman, and that's kind of part of my uh topic that I'm bringing forth is just talking about how we even identify Vanessa um, just in general growing up. Um, we've, we've talked about this in the past of our upbringings in uh, Catholic school uh, environment. Um, we had a lot of uh, classmates who are Filipino American, um, first generation, you know, college students, um, things like that. So I don't know, I guess my first question for you, Vanessa, and for us to just talk about is, how are you in in terms of how you identify with your um, Asian part of your uh, identity? Well, this is hard for me because I am mixed race. And we've talked about this in previous episodes, but I grew up very Filipino. My dad is technically Ecuadorian, but I did not grow up with him. And so it was really hard growing up knowing how to speak Tagalog and understanding on a very, I don't know, I don't want to say deep, but deeper than most of my of our classmates level of Filipino culture. Oh, yeah. And not being recognized as Filipino anywhere I went. Ah. And often being praised for being mestiza, which basically just means being light-skinned. So I was very aware from a very early age what it meant to be light-skinned as a Filipino woman. And also then the flip side of that is being mistaken for a Latina woman and how differently I could be treated depending on who was perceiving me. And so in a weird mm-hmm. way, I think the lens that I'm looking at this is, it's, it's just difficult for me because I want to associate with being AAPI and in a lot of ways I do but in a lot of ways I feel like I've been distanced from it and so I don't know that makes it hard for me to connect with it more yeah that and I you know not that you need someone to vouch (laughs) I was there in through childhood (laughs) with Vanessa and I it kind of ties into how I identify as well because I am a hundred percent well a 98% Filipino, according to my 23andMe. Um, but yeah, so 100% Filipino, you can just round up. Um, and you would think that I would be very much in touch with Filipino culture and traditions and things like that. But I come from a specific background where my parents came to the U.S. They immigrated to the U.S. at, at a very young age. So they were about like 10, 11 years old. Um, So they, you know, did what they needed to assimilate and become more um, Americanized, Mm -hmm. quote unquote. And I remember being a kid and being like, I don't even understand Tagalog really. Like I can I can pick up words here and there. And I remember having conversations or witnessing Vanessa in her Sampaguita dance, like dance (laughs) troupe and doing all these things that were so cool um, from, you know, from my perspective and and me feeling like this weird disconnect because it's like, wow, I 
I should be more Filipino. Like, I remember thinking that, but I didn't know the language. I didn't know a lot of the food, um, you know, that other people were eating. And I remember going to parties and being like, oh, I don't, I know like maybe one to two of these dishes or, you know, and I don't know everything else. And these songs, like I only know them because I went to friends parties, you know, and I learned the, the line dances and oh all that gosh, stuff the in the songs. Line dances. But, <laughs> yeah. The line dancing moms. Yeah. And I don't think I would have um, learned that if I wasn't in that environment. So I don't know. I remember going to to college even or yeah, to high school and college. And I, I re- especially in college where I was like, oh, I am Asian. You know, like that was when I realized that like people see me as an Asian mm-hmm. person more than I see myself as an Asian woman, you know. Interesting. So that was kind of an, an interesting like backwards uh, identity situation. I well, feel more... Yeah, go ahead. I just I wanted to ask you then because I, I recently saw on Instagram something about affinity spaces in college, like Asian clubs, groups, like for example, like the the Filipino what's it called? The Filipino American um, no. See, I didn't I don't yeah. whatever. I don't even re- recall right now. I don't remember but, the exact um, but basically like a Filipino cultural organization, right? That that yes. a lot of campuses had. And they would they would even have this big old like meetup called Friendship Games, I think it was, right? Oh yeah. I made a conscious choice after going to one like informational session that that wasn't gonna be me anymore. Mm. And I don't know where this came from, but I just thought I don't want to be Filipino anymore, not in a bad way, but I didn't want to surround myself only with Filipino people. Mm -hmm. What I wanted was to branch out, to meet people from other cultures, to make friends from different backgrounds, to get to know what their lives were like, because I had grown up so inundated with so many Filipino things. And I'm wondering for you, knowing that, you know, in college, like, oh, people see me as this Asian woman. Did you gravitate then more towards that kind of thing? Or did you try? What was that like for you? I mean, the school that I went to is diverse, but I, in my program specifically for like journalism, I know that there were a lot of white women in that um, particular study. So in terms of like professional organizations, a lot of the times I felt like kind of out of place, but I will say this, I did join, I did try, (laughs) I tried my introverted like social anxiety self tried to join these organizations the filipino cultural organization and um, i even tried to pledge for a um, asian sorority not particularly filipino um, but an asian sorority cultural sorority dropped out of that Um, i went to um, maybe like a handful of the filipino group meetings Mm -hmm. enough to be able to like qualify to get like a a kuya or like a big bro and oh and a twin. Yeah. And I remember us like it's it's kind of weird because it's we, we were kind of a perfect match, our little like group of misfits, our little family, because we were the ones that like got the family members every year and like dipped. Like we didn't really <laughs> participate in anything else. Which part of me um feels like maybe I look back and I'm like maybe I should have tried more. No, but you but didn't I feel and why? Like, why didn't you? Because, well, there was that half of me where it's like, okay, well, like you said, we were in a Filipino school. Uh-huh. This was an opportunity for me to, like, 
branch out, which I ended up kind of doing, but not in a in the way that I thought I would. But well, one, I just had a problem with like sororities and fraternities just personally. But I don't know. I can't even recall like the actual moment where I was like, no, I'm just not going to. It was more of the social pressure of like having to show up to these things Uh versus the actual like cultural group that I would be participating in. And I remember being like, okay, I'm fine with my little family group and that's the people that I'm going to hang out with. And I'm not really going to like participate in the larger sense of the organization because it's just like too much for me to handle, like with everything else that I was dealing with. But um. Yeah, I can't really, I can't really recall like an exact moment, but it, it was just, just a gradual choice, didn't I guess. Work for you, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel like I fit in. Interesting. Especially with the soror- the sorority, because it was like, yes, all of these Asian women, and I thought they were like pretty and smart, and like I was like, wow, it'd be cool to be their friends, but like when I was in it, I was just so intimidated mm. that I let that intimidation be like, oh, I'm not, I don't fit in here, you know? Right. Um, yeah, so. All right. Well, uh, I think we should address the elephant in the room. Uh, today I, I finally brought myself to watch the video of the Filipina, uh, I mean, woman, older woman getting mm-hmm. assaulted in the street and nobody helping her. And there were two, I think, <sighs> dudes, bigger, beefier dudes inside the building where the security footage was taken and they closed the door on her even after her attacker left they didn't even walk out to see if she was okay that part made me so upset yeah and i i i usually try not to watch those things like i would maybe watch like the beginning portion of it but i like even going back to george floyd and like all of the things that were happening last year and all of the videos that were being posted on social media like i tried to get the gist of get the story from like reading versus watching the videos because those are just i just can't watch someone getting kicked in the face you know like i just really it was hard it's it's hard and like i i watched this one like i i, I forced myself to watch it and yeah it's it's upsetting because it just I mean it's related to all of the other attacks that have happened is that are specifically targeted towards like the elderly or like the older you know Mm -hmm. like it I'm like how I think that's the part human can you be well to circle back to the video though I and watching it specifically one of our one of our listeners hey Jordan (laughs) actually posted (laughs) the video that made me watch it because Mm. Another friend had just posted the video and I, I, I just I didn't want to. And then I came across his resharing of it. And the gist of his message was, it's going to be uncomfortable to watch, but that's why you need to watch it. And so mm. I forced myself to be uncomfortable and watch it. And mm-hmm. now I realize that maybe watching it is the point. And yes, I mean, I, I want to protect my mental health. But the thing is, then seeing it makes you more angry or real. makes it very real and in that moment mm-hmm. I was like wow like this could have been like my Lola like this could have been anybody's Lola like just getting mm-hmm. attacked on the street like this like that's not okay for no reason for no and, right. to, and to see to see her just walking minding her own business and it just for it to come out of nowhere like that it could uh, I think I need to from now on watch think watch the videos <sighs> yeah and I asked that question of myself which is horrible that I this is a thought that comes up multiple times is like do I watch this one 
do I watch this one? Like, you know, like every time this happens, I'm like, do I watch it? And like the ones where it's like the old older man, like in his little walker chair that my grandma also has, like she has that. And he was sitting there on like, I don't know if it was like the bus stop or something or just sitting outside and him just being pushed over. And then that the person who pushed him over just runs like I don't like it's just so cowardly to me. And it it Mm -hmm. like upsets me because it's like, what what does that give you? is my question like right what does that give that person does that make you feel better to hurt someone else like mm-hmm. that obviously was not doing anything to you i just um, think it's so fascinating uh we did a like dei space about this um for work and one of my coworkers brought up the fact that it's it's asia it's elderly asians it's our it's our elderly, and for, I'm not trying to say that in other cultures they don't value their elderly, but specifically in AAPI communities, the elderly are so revered and respected that yeah. to, to do anything to them, to insult them in any way, is such a big deal. And yeah. that's why it hits a, a weirdly different level beyond just, like, why would you pick on an old person, right? Uh, but also right. specifically in our communities, why would you hurt our elderly? They are supposed to be protected yeah you know, and cared for. Um, When you initially brought up the idea of doing this episode, I was also uncomfortable because, and I don't know how how you process this at work, but being in a leadership position means that I'm the one that has to address it. And I don't, even if it's, uh, you know, like um, for the Black Lives Matter movement and all that, I don't feel that I am personally equipped to handle being the messenger and being the person that mm. starts the conversation when I myself am processing. But then people right. are looking to me to host the conversation, to start it, to initiate. And I'm happy to, to do it in a sense, but I'm also not because then it puts this weird pressure on me and dealing with that at work and then having you know of course our work did a whole like DEI thing and then we had to do this other thing and like it was a conversation and yes I appreciate the effort but it was just too much and I was like I can't possibly also do a podcast on it when I can't I couldn't even bring myself to read the news about the shootings I had just heard it through other people and I just couldn't bring myself to read about it so I don't know for you how you process when you heard it um, or what work was like for you or um, but I'm curious what that was what that experience was for you. Well, I will say this for me when I I guess I don't know if it's because just the way I am or like because my background in my schooling and in, in journalism is that I'm like on top of it like I'm on top of the like current whatever news <laughs> current I events. guess current <laughs> happenings current events that you know generally current events and when things like this happen I'm I'm very much like I don't dive in either because I have in the past done that and it's just too much for my mental health um but it I was conf- I was conflicted because I knew like in when the increase of these happenings you know started coming up in the news um i remember back in may um april just before the like climax of the or the boiling over of the black lives matter movement in in june um i remember um because i follow so many like asian um organizations and and 
you know, companies and, and things like that just on my own terms just over the years. I remember hearing the reports about violence against the Asian communities, even back then. Um, and it's just now that it's dominating, at least dominated the news like two weeks ago. I don't really know what's what's dominating the news right now. But right. Um, I remember when the news came out and it was like the trending topic to be discussing I which is a horrible thing to say but um I remember the the feeling of conflict in me because I was like well welcome you know to the violence that has been happening but also like in, in a sarcastic way of like oh now it's being seen but then I like I like kind of held myself back and was like well this is what the black communities have also been feeling too like when in back in june of 2020 when the resurgence of the uh whole thing the black lives matter movement started again it's like well welcome you know <laughs> welcome mm-hmm. to this bottomless this pit new. of like despair you know um yeah it, this isn't new so yeah it was a weird conflicting moment of like not that I'm happy that you're here, that you're seeing it, but like, okay, it was a catharsis in a weird, twisted way of like, now people know, like, are aware of it. And I feel more comfortable talking about it because when the Black Lives Matter movement was happening, I was trying to be an ally to the situation and delve into the like, history of, you know, slavery and like Jim Crow and the specifically the Black movement you know um versus that the asian turmoil and that racist history as well you know like i was focusing all of my energy on that in 2020 and now at this point where we're able to let's focus on this that it's yeah that that's two sides of the coin for me well can we talk about that a little more actually that whole idea of the Black Lives Matter movement and then the increase, or seemingly so, the uptick of violence against the Asian American Pacific Islander community. Because I, whereas you are coming at it from like, a, oh, like, welcome, it's been happening. I think I'm coming at it from a very different place. And I think it's a place mm. of ignorance, but not of willing ignorance, but passive, like the media isn't presenting it to me, ignorance. And then also right. being aware, though, I just have this conflicting feeling of, is it really that bad? So I've been reading, well, I just finished reading this book uh, for this AAPI book club that I am part of called Interior Chinatown Interior Chinatown, by Charles Yu. And there was a specific part of the book that really stood out to me. And don't worry if you want to read it, this ruins nothing. Uh, but I'm going to read it to you. And I want to know if you resonate with this, Melissa, Um, because it hit a chord for me. Mr. Wu, is it true that you have an internalized sense of inferiority? That because on the one hand, you for obvious reasons have not been and can never be fully assimilated into mainstream, i.e. white America, and on the other hand, neither do you feel fully justified in claiming solidarity with other historically and currently oppressed groups, that while your community's experience in the United States has included racism on the personal and the institutional levels, including but not limited to immigration quotas, actual federal legislation expressly excluding people who look like you from entering the country, legislation that was in effect for almost a century, 
et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So he goes on to list different kinds of um, legislation against um, AAPI community. Um, but despite all of that, you somehow feel that your oppression, because it does not include the original American sin of slavery, that it will never add up to something equivalent, that the wrongs committed against your ancestors are incommensurate in magnitude with those committed against black people in America, and whether or not that quantification, whether accurate or not, because of all of this, you feel on some level that you maybe can't even quite verbalize out of shame or embarrassment that the validity and volume of your complaints must be calibrated appropriately, must be in in proportion to the aggregate suffering of your people, that your oppression is second class. Wow. What an eloquent way to take all of the jumbledness of my thoughts. <laughs> and yeah, wow. Um, to answer the question, if that resonated with me, that definitely does resonate with me almost directly because I can think of situations where even as I was have, trying to have the conversations, those tough conversations that we've talked about in the podcast before about the Black Lives Matter um, movement uh, with my family members, I remember the conversations or the backlash not backlash but like defensive responses were well that they're not the only ones that this like their community isn't the only ones that this happens to you know Mm -hmm. this has happened and I think I've talked about it in in maybe our episode about like growing up in a cat or going to a catholic school because one of the reasons why I was put into a catholic school um, and this is word from my parents Um, that it was because they wanted to protect me from the bullying and the like literal like racist um, encounters that they would have at their public schools in the area which is the ones that I would have gone to and um, a lot of the times when you think about the era of like in the 80s or or early 90s when um, uh, people of color were just being pulled over for no reason and and you know slammed against the hood of the police car uh, with excessive force um, that stuff happened to my dad so it's not you know it's literally direct experience that he's experienced that uh, um, discrimination and, and racism essentially so yeah I definitely think that's how when you talked about the whole calibrating the mm-hmm. um, responses or the opinions that surround my experience and maybe my parents experience um of oppression uh, especially during that the again last year around june july when all of these were happening i i remember holding my tongue like i said about like well this is happening to other communities as well and I really double down on the and I still double down on on the fact that like if we work together to um, better the lives of our, you know, black communities, um, then we all benefit because a lot of the times, um, if not all of the times that there has been some sort of um, civil rights movement led by the black communities, when we've supported them, or not, um, it's led to the rights that we enjoy today as right. um, as uh, Americans, you know? Um, you like how I hesitated there and said Americans because I'm an Asian American and there's a whole other thing to unpack there. But yeah, I definitely resonate with that whole paragraph. 
Yeah. I mean, the way the way that white supremacy is structured is that it pits all of us against each other. Mm-hmm. And so even in in thinking about the violence that's happening against our community, it almost didn't seem real. I don't know mm-hmm. if anyone listening has felt that. And then I almost felt embarrassed like of course it's real. These people yeah. have been in, but then in my mind it was just not as severe as what was happening to the black community. But then why does that Exa- matter yeah. also? It, it's mm-hmm. happening. There shouldn't be any violence right. at all. <laughs> exactly. Right. But it's just such a, a, a I don't know, a, the the whole thing about like that your oppression is second class. That yeah. that was interesting. And also I think too because I I've never quite felt truly that Filipinos are part of the model minority. And they're not. And we've talked about this. Yeah. And so therefore yeah. there's also a disconnect in is this my community that's being attacked? Oh my gosh. Right now? Yeah. I I wrote that as one of my notes as like part of the identity thing because I was reading recently, I forget which article I was reading, but like for a long time I re- I don't know if you remember this, Vanessa, but like when we were filling out forms for the SAT or like whatever, you're like, do I put Asian or do I put Pacific Islander? And I thought that was something like of preference, you know, like what do you identify with, of course. But um, I, I remember reading in an article that like for a long time, Filipino, uh, Filipino Americans or Filipinos were not were considered Pacific Islander. And then um, it flip flopped between like the eight like they're officially part of like the Asian community um, but you could be more specific about saying like uh, East Asian or Southeast Asian and then Pacific Islander so it's not incorrect so like all of that in itself the fact that we couldn't even pinpoint like what which one which do I bubble in here you know like who what am I who am I um, is just a situation in itself to consider like we can't even we're not even given like an option to truly identify with you know like um and i totally get that because when we were talking about the model minority myth um yeah when i was reading more into it we're like oh well southeast asians were not really part of that it was mostly like korean japanese um, chinese communities that are groups that were included in that and that was an eye-opening experience for me too because I finally found something that we kind of like, oh, okay, well, I've definitely bits and pieces of that model minority myth have definitely applied to my experience. But, oh, now it's saying that it's (laughs) that we weren't included to begin with. So it's like, where are we in the in the history of America? You know, like we kind of get lost in the mix. You know, we're not even really mentioned in the uh, history books, you know. Right. You know, when you were talking just now, too, I just. I couldn't help but think about proximity to whiteness Mm. and how because the traditional Asian groups are considered to be the model minority, how Filipinos might want to be included in that in order to be closer to whiteness, Mm -hmm. closer to thinking they have a seat at the table. And so that's also hard. I sometimes question lately, am I doing something because it puts me in proximity to whiteness or am I more comfortable with something because it puts me in proximity to but never in whiteness? And I'm not comfortable being in white spaces a majority of the time, but then I'm also not comfortable being in like people of color spaces either a lot of the time so interesting it's just a weird balance we're kind of lost in the in between right in in a 
in some ways. Yeah. Like I, I mean, I, I definitely feel oddly safer when I see, when I, I always notice when I'm like the only person of color in the room, you know, like I always notice that. And that's where that unsafe feeling comes from. But like when I'm surrounded by a bunch of people that are of from different backgrounds, I feel I, I can say that I feel more comfortable because I feel like we can all identify as like we don't belong in that in that group over there. That's the you know, the white community fully, you know. Um, but yeah, I, I just think it's tough because it, it goes back to what we were talking about, like how we identify and how we were taught to try to identify as, you know given whether it's papaya soap that you're using to make yourself look lighter um, or, you know, me being not being taught the language because why would I need that? Why would I need to speak the Galug, you know? Yeah. Um, my mom always told English. me, my mom be having conversations with me that might not have been age appropriate, but <laughs> she told me straight up, you know, because I asked her one day, how come none of my other friends speak Tagalog? And she was like, well, I didn't teach you either. You just learned because you kept watching Filipino movies with your Lola. Like, that's the only reason why you know it. And I was like, well, why? Why wouldn't you want me to know? And then I had this interesting parallel. I was like, we grew up around a lot of um, Latinx folks, too. And so I would always say, well, my Mexican friends know how to speak Spanish. And all their family knows and they know and they were taught. And my mom straight up was like, well, the Filipino accent isn't attractive and nobody will hire you or they will think you're not qualified if you have a Filipino accent, accent. which is why we don't want to teach you the language. And there are so many layers to that. And when I think about, you know, my Mexican friends who often talk about code switching and the fact that speaking Spanish is expected in their community, but is disregarded and looked down upon in most other spaces. It's just so fascinating because I was so envious growing up of, of right, that to at least you know have it be re- something that was revered at least within the community right versus like let's unlearn this stuff and like so that you can better fit into your school groups and when you end up essentially going to work um, right. trying to find find a job I, I was trying to think while you were talking about like have I ever had that conversation with my parents about why they didn't teach me like or, or kind of diving into the conversation more because all I really know is was like just a few thoughts of theirs um, saying you know like you didn't you didn't need it like we didn't we learned English like for you know for a reason right and you grew up here so why would you need to speak Tagalog and I re- going back to the Spanish thing I spoke more Spanish than um, <laughs> than Tagalog I will than I will ever speak Tagalog you know um, yeah. I don't know. It's they the idea of like speaking Spanish is more especially in the area where we live. It's, you know, used more often than mm-hmm. obviously Tagalog would be, but still, it's like a weird portion of me where I'm like I wish I could connect with that. And I wish I could identify with that, but I I just I can't cuz I didn't I wasn't surrounded by it growing up. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't have Jollibee until I was, like, in high school or something. <laughs> well, it also didn't get here until we were a little older, <laughs> to be fair to us. Right. Uh, so we always end our episodes with how to be okay with it. And we, on our Instagram, have shared a few resources, uh, mm. such as the bystander training. My friend told me about on Nextdoor, I think you can um, you can offer to walk 
elderly API community members to their appointments or whatever to accompany them basically on their errands to make sure that they're safe, which is nuts. Uh, But that is what's happening. Uh, You can also donate. But Melissa, I don't know if you had any other resources to share or if you wanted to talk about your experience because you did attend, right, the bystander training? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I attended the bystander training that it's again the link is in I think the link is in our bio we shared the resources on our on our Instagram for sure but um, it was hosted by Hollaback and AAJC um, and I it was just an hour they were super on top of it um, I think it's it's and it's free um, it's a free training. I think they're adding more dates because it's been so uh, popular. I think they right now they're inching closer to 30,000 people who have attended this training. That's amazing. Um, and it's sent, yeah, and it was succinct. They give you a little bit of a history lesson. They make sure that it's a safe space. And um, they go through literal like practice rounds of situations that have happened in real life and they say well how can you know what are the tools that you can use so I highly recommend that um that training I think it was helpful and encouraging um to attend um yeah highly recommend and then in terms of just like closing thoughts especially because of the most more recent event of this Filipina woman um being assaulted by a person of color um I I shared the video on my story as like a, it was kind of more of a knee jerk reaction. I was like, I have to share this, you know, but not, I kind of didn't think about the triggering factor. And and then I kind of did a follow up post after saying, you know, apologizing for not, I should have did like a trigger warning and stuff like that. Um, And I, I just wanted to read the last two little sentences here that I put. I said, yes, the man who assaulted the, that woman is ultimately at fault. So is the security guards who decided to go out of their way to close the door on the situation. Um, what we need is intersectional solidarity against racism. Um, the Asian and Asian American communities' rights do not exist without the efforts of the black community. And we talked about this, um, but pitting ourselves against each other enables the continuation of white supremacy which is ultimately what we are fighting against. We need to stay focused on our communal goal by continuing to educate ourselves and keeping each other accountable. So I'll just end my thoughts there. But how about you, Vanessa? I couldn't agree more. And I don't think I really truly realized how many personal liberties that I, that we enjoy because of men and women, people who have fought for those things regardless of their race you know especially Mm -hmm. the black community but what i do want to add is a plug for interior chinatown if you haven't read it yet it i i had a friend recently say that he didn't want to read the book because he was so inundated by the news and and all these things but if that's if some that's if that's something that you are also feeling I I just want to push that novels often have a way of bringing to mind the things that you don't know how to say. And when he described what I read earlier about feeling like our oppression might be second class because it did not include slavery, right? The original sin of America type of thing. I was like, Mm -hmm. wow, that's exactly how I've been feeling. And that's exactly why I, I feel like a lot of 
API community members don't often talk about the oppression that we do face. But we should. We need to. Because without those conversations that are very uncomfortable, there's no change. There's no progress. And we can we pretend that it doesn't exist. But it, it very much does. And we need to address it if we're going to have any type of change at all. If that intersectionality that you mentioned is to happen, we have to first admit that we are being oppressed. Right. So. Yeah, we are conditioned to to think to not think otherwise, but to just bury that, and that's sometimes can be a cultural thing. And we need, I agree, we need to. We're the we're the generation where we're finally trying to be like, hey, we need to say something about it, and even if it's uncomfortable, get uncomfortable. (laughs) Well, on that note, thank you all for listening today. Um, Be sure to check the link in our bio or check our late our post about listing all of the resources um you can also follow us on apple Podcasts, spotify and on instagram at i'm uncomfortable.podcasts if you have an episode idea question or shout out or if you just want to share some thoughts um after you listen to this episode you can contact us via instagram or you can contact us on our website at i'm uncomfortablepodcast.com and we release new episodes every tuesday so we'll see you next week Thank you.